2: What's up, everybody? Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle is a brand new program here at Blue Wire where you can host your very own podcast. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discords, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your stuff all pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all those good places, the listening platforms all out there. And you can get all of this for $15 a month the same rate any other hosting site will charge you um, just for initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join
3: hey yeah I feel like Kobe in a fourth this
2: is the Dane more NBA podcast brought to you by blue Wire podcasts and tonight was the beginning of the Chris Finch era in Minnesota was a 27 point loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think if Ryan Saunders were still to have been the the coach of the Timberwolves this game probably would have felt you know more like the disappointing same. You know, another blowout loss that reminds us just kind of how far away this Wolves team is from being competitive. But I think given, you know, not to excuse it, but I think given the whirlwind of circumstances, I think what we all were looking for tonight was was less about results and more about just looking for what is going to be different. You know, obviously in a blowout loss, we didn't get much of an opportunity to make an extensive list of what was different. You know, there wasn't there wasn't an opportunity to see if the Wolves' fourth quarter execution problems could, you know, be rectified by the presence of a new coach. Uh, there wasn't really an extended list of things to break down in terms of what did or didn't work. The game didn't break down over the course of 20 possessions in the fourth quarter it it fell apart you know late in the second quarter and that was kind of became a blowout from that point on and blowouts, they they sort of cloud analysis right I mean we we don't know yet but there were some structural things I think to know and I mean I think the way we go about looking at that is did the offense and defense look different was the structure of what they were running different and Unsurprisingly, the answer there was no. Um, again, it had only been 48 hours. So I think if there was an expectation for change there, it was an unrealistic one. Any sort of shifts of that nature are going to happen over time, you know, and will be done kind of one small piece at a time. Finch said this morning at Shoot that they're probably going to uninstall three or four things for every one new thing they do install. So again, it's going to take time. What we really could gather tonight was just the basic stuff. You know, who's going to play and how long are they going to play? Some of those answers did show up. I mean, to the who is going to play, that answer was, for now, the same guys as before. The rotation was, again, 10 players. Cat, Vanderbilt, Edwards, Beasley, and Rubio started. And Nas, McDaniels, Zakogi Noel, and McLaughlin came off the bench. Wancho and Lehman got in during garbage time, but for structural purposes, I mean, the rotation was, again, 10. The, the difference was how long those guys played. That's what stuck out tonight. And this was most notable in the first half. I mean, Cap played 21 minutes and Beasley played 19. Those guys were tracking to play 40. I mean, that's a pretty big uptick from the 33 minutes per game they were playing under Saunders. And I feel like this feels extra noteworthy, particularly considering that the Wolves are on the front end of a back-to-back. The other shift in minutes – I think kind of came at the power forward and point guard positions. Jared Vanderbilt only played seven first half minutes while Jaden McDaniels played 11, even though Vanderbilt started Vanderbilt did get in foul trouble. So that contributed to it, but he didn't pick up another foul after the first, you know, four minutes of the game. So Finch pretty clearly rolled with McDaniels more often um, than he did Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt only closed the game playing 11 total minutes. And then at point guard, uh, it was more of an equal balance between Rubio and McLaughlin. Rubio played 14 of the 24 first half point guard minutes, and McLaughlin played the other 10. And then by the end of the night, McLaughlin actually finished with more minutes, 25 uh, to Rubio's 23. Now, I'd guess that one is probably more about the the game being a back-to-back and not really you know bringing Rubio back in. But at the same time, I wouldn't totally brush over that. I mean, I think we can glean that there might be more of a balance between Rubio and J-Mac, you know, kind of dependent on, dependent on how the game goes. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Um, we're going to, we're just going to be gathering this info sort of as we go. I mean, Finch will increasingly show his hand on who he prefers as the games go on. And I would guess that, you know, we can also, we can take something from the fact that Cat and Beasley played as much as they did. I mean, Seems pretty clear they're going to play more than they previously were. If we're really going to gather though who who Finch is and who he's going to be, I think the better place to go for that rather than a blowout game is is the comments that he made, you know, today during his media questioning. We had we had shooter on availability with him, we had availability with him before the game, and then also you know a few different players talked. I got the I got the chance to ask Finch and a few of the players about you know just sort of what we can expect. So I want to rip through some of those comments tonight and we will begin doing that after a quick break what's up everybody we have something to tell you about here at blue wire and that is that we love sports betting and whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started we want to let you know great resources for sports bettors and that's the action network The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And For a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50. M O O R E E five zero. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, so what is Chris Finch about? You know, we've heard all the labelings. Uh, he's an offensive mastermind. His teams play fast. They play free. Well, great. How does that apply to this roster? And the place we got to start with all that is with Cat, right? I mean, Chris Finch is presented with the question of how is Cat best utilized? And really, that's a that's an interesting and very open question. I mean, over the past three seasons, dating back to that 2017-18 playoff season, I mean, Cat has really had three different identities. In the playoff year with Tibbs, which was the season that cat most contributed to team success. Now, he was predominantly used as a post up and pick and roll big. Obviously, it's not that he didn't shoot or he didn't isolate, but he did that comparatively, he did that a lot less often. You know, given the roster Tibbs just decided that Cat's best utility was to be on the block or in pick and rolls, often with Jeff Teague. The next year started to shift, and that was that 2018-19 season was Cat's most Individually, statistically successful season. You know, it was that year half under Tibbs, half under Saunders? You know, remember he had that insane close of the year. Um, he was like true shooting was like seventy some percent, and and he made this push to you know almost get that third all NBA spot over Rudy Gobert, even though the Wolves had very little team success. And that's because Cat was individually awesome. And that year he was used far less in pick and roll. You know, he became an even heavier volume post-up player, and he was used twice as much in isolation, kind of often from that sort of elbow extended area. You know, it was a very individual Cat. Again, statistically successful, but extremely individualistic. And then there was last season where Cat began to look most special, right? His three-point volume exploded as Saunders placed him at the top of the key where he was the you know, the quarterback of the offense. And because of this placement, obviously Cat's post-up volume and isolation volume from that elbow extended area, it really dropped. You, you can really make an argument for any of those styles being the best utilization of Cat. I mean, they all have defensible rationales. And that's why I think it's going to be just so interesting to see which identity Finch most leans into. I mean, obviously it's going to be a mix, like... But at the same time, one of those is going to stick out. It's going to show up over these forty games as Finch is going to identify this is my version of Cat. So tonight, I asked Finch which one he thinks it'll be. Coach from uh, from Coach Thibodeau to Coach Saunders, um, there's been different general areas where Cat has more frequently been placed on the offensive end. Um, obviously, you're kind of going to you used him tonight at all three levels. Do you feel like there's a a place that you will be using him most to get his first touch?
1: Um, You know, I think, you know, he plays, uh, he plays a lot at the top of the floor. I really like him there. He's a great facilitator. He draws out the defense. He can make that shot can find himself in pick and roll. I mean, we, we, we're going to play him all over the floor. Really. um, I'm, you know, I I told him today that, uh, you know, you go where you need to go and we'll kind of shape it up around you. Um, He's a smart player. He's a skilled player and um he'll you know he'll find uh find the right spots on the floor from game to game I'm confident.
2: The reality with Cat is he's he's going to make it work individually wherever he's placed. He's just that good offensively. I mean the bigger question probably is about how Finch uses the other four players around him. And I think as many of you know who have been listening to this podcast like a frustration I personally had with how Saunders used the players around Cat was just in the notion that I felt like Saunders believed a little bit too much in those other four guys, right? Like the, the classic things, the belief in a Kogi shooting around Cat, the belief in Rubio penetrating around Cat, etc. all those things. And that belief limited Cat because it put Cat in situations where he was asked to make the quote-unquote right play by trusting his teammates when it had become, you know, painfully obvious that an above-the-break kickout to a Kogi or Culver or whatever. It just... It ended up not being the more profitable play. And I thought it was very encouraging this morning when Chris Finch brought up this concept of bumpers for the surrounding players and ways in which he's going to, you know, limit some of their latitudes.
1: Just wondering, with playing free and and not having so much many rules and whatnot within the offense. Do you find it, you have a lot of really young players. Do they work best in that? Or is it veterans who maybe have more experience reading and reacting who have more success with that? Does it matter? Does, does it take time for young guys to acclimate to not having many rules? Well, yeah, great question. I think I get that a lot. Um, I think first of all, is, you know, the, the playing free and playing chaotic are not the same thing. So we have structure, we have principles, we have uh, concepts that we're playing within. And then after that, what what I've found is when you allow that type of freedom in those structures, that guys tend to gravitate to what they do best. And um, and hopefully that will be the case here. And I'm sure it's going to at times look a little rough. And then we, that's my job. That's my job. That's our job as a coaching staff is to to get them back in in their box. And, you know, those guys that, the younger players, like I said, we try to give them left and right bumpers. Hey, we want you to do this or that. And. Um, you have the freedom to do several things but not everything Um, and somebody like Kat has way more freedom to do that Ricky you know has a lot of freedom right now to be able to do a lot of things for us and um, and and, you know that's drawing on their experience and their skill level Uh, and then as you know those guys that can you know prove that they can do several things and we see that they can do other things better we will allow you know we, we allow them to do that and that's really been part of the learning curve that for me as a coach is that watching that and then I get to learn about my players I love
2: that answer but then I was thinking about it over the course of the day and I thought we can't just you can't just totally delete things you know so how how do those bumpers work if they get in the way of the things we know both Finch and Rosas want to do how does a bumper work if it blocks you from taking threes when three threes are obviously such an important part of the concept, you know, a Kogi Culver, etc. Or how do bumpers work if you're if you're not a strong finisher at the rim when you're playing for a team that heavily prioritizes taking layups? That's the Rubio, the Delo, etc there. So I asked Finch about that specifically before the game. Hey coach, Dane Moore Blue Wire, um, you talked a little bit this morning about uh, bumpers for for players yeah. and and this has been a team that has really prioritized as much as anyone in the league shots at the rim and three point shots. Sure, I'm wondering what the the balance you find there along those bumpers when that might not be a player's strongest suit in in those areas that they have previously been prioritizing.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really, um, there's a gray area in all these things. It's not as extreme as only at the rim and only threes. You know, we want to get to those shots with the right in the right way, in the right manner, with the right purpose, and the right rhythm. Uh, We always allow latitude for the longer to the mid-range shot. Some guys have more latitude than others, and that's part of the the left, right bumpers. Um, You know, of course, your high usage guys are are gonna have that, uh, you know, opportunity more, the cats of the world if they get in the areas. Uh, But really, in player development is where you, you, you can't take something away from players without giving them something back to replace it. So if that's their comfort zone, oftentimes what we find is it's still not highly efficient. It doesn't matter how comfortable it is. So we have to try to find something to replace it. Maybe we drive a little deeper and kick out. Um, you know, maybe we, we, we practice uh, threes behind pick and roll, whatever it might be. You know, we got to have something that they're comfortable with to replace that.
2: I think that is really well put. I mean, you you can't just delete things. I mean, a Kogi and a Culver—they're going to be the punching bag for this because they're the most, I don't know, salient example, right? Like Finch can't just tell a Kogi or Culver to never shoot an above the break three when they catch it; they're open. What he can do is remove above the break three catches from those guys' repertoires. There's obviously the basic tweak of just focusing on positioning them. Almost exclusively in the corner if they're on the perimeter, kind of like centers on most teams do. Or there's the whole idea of positioning them in the dunker spot. And I think the thing to in a weird way, the thing to think about here, or what I think about, is Ben Simmons. I'm obviously not comparing Ben Simmons to Josh Okogie and Jared Culver, but I guess I kind of am. Like it's weird. I, I feel like this is a really well-known thing because it's it's almost something that's you know. Philly gets ripped on, or it seems like this limit limitization of Simmons, where he ha- he has to go play in the dunker spot if he's not the point guard, and and yeah that's so it's always talked about negatively because it feels so limiting for Simmons because he's such a talent. But at the same time, if you just think about it, that's a pretty interesting and funky sort of thing to do when it's a player who is less talented but similarly athletic, like a, a Koki, like a Culver. I'm really interested to see if Finch tries that with those two, or what he tries. You know, what are the things he gives to the players that need to be more limited, as replacements for the things that do limit their games individually. I mean, it's just it's all going to be about fine tuning, and really that's the you know that's the task for Finch, just up and down this roster. You know, even for the more ball dominant players like like Adilo, like a Beasley, and and like Edwards, and, and for me, I think Edwards is the one I'm most interested. in you know, in to see how how does Finch fine tune a player that he doesn't really want to totally subtract from. And I I talked about this on the pod last night with Kyle, but the one thing I think people really need to understand with Finch is that his teams do not have a history of being heavy pick and roll teams. And it's not that they didn't run pick and rolls in New Orleans. I'm not saying that his teams run pick all teams run pick and rolls, but when Finch was the Offensive coordinator down there, they ran pick and roll far less frequently than most other teams did. In 2019-20, Pelicans were 23rd in pick and roll frequency. Year before that, 27th. Year before that, 28th. They relied far more on penetration and kicking so as to be a team that played out of catch and shoot situations. And with Ant, I think we will see that this is going to show up in as far more frequent isolations than we saw for him under Saunders. I mean, this year, the number's startling. I mean, Edwards has taken 184 shots this season out of pick and roll and only 45 out of isolation. I asked Ant tonight about how he thinks that shift might impact his game. And we talked a lot this year about, you know, the different positions that you get the ball in offensively. You know, we talked about isolation versus pick and roll and that sort of thing. Coach Finch has a history of of having his players play a lot more in isolation rather than um, pick and roll. Where where do you think, what do you think will happen if you start playing a lot more in isolation the rest of the season?
3: Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man, uh, you know, I like isolation. I like picking rolls. I mean, I just, I like to be put in positions where I can score the ball or help my teammates score the ball. So whatever his techniques or, you know, ways he go about things, then we got to follow him. If it's isolation, then hey, I love it. But whatever it is, you know, we just need to go out and have fun and just compete for real. Does that kind of seem like his biggest message to you?
2: He was just saying it's like the focus is just to play hard.
3: Um, uh, His biggest message to us probably was just um, offensively, like he don't really care. He just makes sure we do something, do it fast, get it done and do it the right way. if you do it, do it at the best of your ability. So, you know, it should be fun.
2: Ant is in another slump, you know, after a hot run there to start the month um, over these past three games. It's only three games, but if you include tonight, he's uh, he's taken 23 shots from two over the past three games and only made 26% of those. And he's taken 17 shots from three and only made 18% of those. And It's just, I mean, big picture, it's a big task for Finch is – to, be, to get Ant to more consistently be an efficient scorer. You know, he, he probably needs to get him going early in game so as to avoid some of those extended lapses we've seen over the course of a few quarters. But Ant's right. It is going to be fun. And we're going to learn more tomorrow in Chicago. The Wolves are back at it again, back to back. I know I didn't touch much on the defense tonight, and I will try and hone in on that more tomorrow because – the reason I didn't get into it, to it tonight was not because it was good; it was awful, capital A awful. But I think it's it's harder to glean specific defensive things when it is um, a blowout. Obviously, Finch is an offensive guy, but this won't work unless this team is more balanced. And you know, even if this roster has more offensive players than they do defensive, you know, it defense still needs to be addressed. Defense remains the elephant in the room with this team. But I will talk to you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Dane.
3: Peace out. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement.